It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. What's up, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to Lax Class. EP 145. 145. I can't believe that. Uh, Right here on Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, where we come to you every Tuesday for another Lax Class. Jay Kelly with you, and back with me once again here, co-hosting this week, is the owner, the president, the general manager, and my friend Jamie Dowick is back on the podcast. Let's get you in here off the top, JD. What uh, what's going on? I know you you were on a, a like a golf getaway back there in in the Maritimes, man. Um, I don't think I could do six rounds in seven days. I don't think my back would hold up for that. How are you feeling here as we record on a Sunday? I think you got back on Friday. Yeah. Seven rounds in six days. Oh, geez. even better, eh? Okay. You know what? Forget uh, it. Listen. Um, I, I surprisingly held up really well. I mean, a lot of the guys, uh, you know, I'm uh, half, at least half of the guys are older than me that were there. And okay. uh, so it's the cart, the, it's carts the entire time. Well, right? no, I mean the first. Okay, so the first uh, four days at Cabot's, you play with a caddy. Oh, so you're, <laughs> you're you're walking. <laughs> Ah, but you have a cat. That's next level. So that's next now level. Now, having said that, I mean it is that that was a very hilly, yeah, uh, kind of course, and and I think the guy, one guy, was keeping steps, and you know he was at saying twenty five thousand step days. I don't know what that means. That's but. that's a lot. Like if you hit like ten thousand a day, you're doing something right. Twenty thousand is is pretty serious business, and twenty five, you're 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 somebody. So well yeah, done. Yeah, well, we we hit. Tw- I think maybe the day we played must have been the day we played twice. I don't know, um, but yeah, there was a there was a lot of walking for the first four days, and then when we got to Fox Harbor, um, you know that they want you in carts there, so we yeah. were carting the last few days. So having a caddy um, is sweet, though, right? Like I've only had that once. It was a course I played in uh, in Mexico, and. Like you know, like I think like Gates and Gretzky and like they've they've all kind of played at this course and I I don't I can't even remember how I got on. One of the locals I think had an in there and it's an it's a different experience, right? Like you pull up to your ball and he's like, all right, like you're you're looking at about ten yards downhill here. The wind usually comes out of the west. Like it it's a it's an yeah, it's, it, it's it's interesting. When you're playing a course like Cabot, where you know, there's it's a different style of course than we're all used to type deal. It's, you know, there's some link styles to it, and yeah. you know, I found uh, it, it's very helpful where they're telling you you got to hit the ball, and then when you get up around the greens and the greens, you know, my guy was great, so I kind of latched onto a guy. This, I, the guy I had the first round was great, but then and you like, know showed the second <laughs> day, and then I hooked up with this other guy. A young guy named Cam who's you know, out there playing hockey, and he was awesome. So I said to him, "I'm like, listen, we're here tomorrow and the day after. Like, I want you on my bag." And and he was awesome. So I had him for three days in a row. 
So he had my game totally figured out and, you know, he was just clubbing me and always giving me the right club. Nice. And, so, and, you, so you turn things around because I remember last week we were talking and it was like, oh, yes, nothing. Oh. Yes, it turned totally around. It must have been the must have been Cammy. luck of Jumbo. Because, <laughs> well, uh, or it was Cam. I don't know. Or it was, it was uh That's right. We talked after my second round and. You know, basically, the, the last five were more Jamie Dowick golf, so uh, I was really pleased with the way I played. Awesome, man. Uh, speaking of awesome, we got a we got an awesome program lined up here for, for Lax Class 145. As we're back to a normal format, four quarters we shall go, and uh, Stampede's Dying of the Week, it is your pick. You just let me know who your pick was. I'm not going to let the listeners know quite yet, Jamie, but uh, love the pick. So we'll look forward to the Stallion of the Week in quarter four. Lots of quick sticks to, to get through here this week in quarter number three. Calls to the Hall is back as well. And uh, we're down to just a few guys. Casey Powell, Sean Williams, and the man we have on this week. He's the only reason we got him to track down here. Sometimes uh, this guy can be a, a bit of a challenge to get on. But uh, we got him because he's going to be in his car for like the next eight hours. So... Nothing better to do talk to us on the podcast this week. And the living legend, one Jonathan Grant Jr., will join us here for calls to the hall as he is one of the 10 inductees going into the Hall of Fame later this month, which we're about to talk about here. I got a lot going on in, in my place right now, Jamie. Like, I, I lost my cat probably, like, I had to put him down probably like two months ago. And I have another cat. So... I think she's been a little bit lonely. My daughter's been harassing me to get another cat. She just turned 12 years old. She doesn't even know this yet. But I was out at a a disc golf tournament yesterday, and my girlfriend, Danny, texted me. She says, want a kitten? (laughs) Sends me this picture of this kitten. Her daughter was away with her dad up in uh, Williams Lake on a bit of vacation. Came home with a kitten. Just came home with it. Didn't say anything to her mom. Right? And and her mom's not having any of it. She knows I wanted a cat. So I got a brand new kitten here. And trying Ooh. to trying to get them like acclimatized to each other. Like a, it's yep. it's a process. Let's just say that. And then add to the fact that I'm supposed to go out of town. Well, I'm gonna go out of town here on Tuesday. So I need to kind of get these guys buddied up before before I feel good about about leaving. I'm like Danny's gonna come here and stay for a couple of days, but so you know, one's one's under the bed, one's uh, like laying in in pounce position here at the edge of the door. <laughs> Wait, to we go could to, have a strap. Yeah, a little podcast. hissing, little growling could be uh, could be happening during during the podcast as well. So. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on that as the situation develops here as we record. But right now, Jamie, it's time to get into it. It's the big focus. Big focus. Big focus. Focus. Another than a big focus. Focus. Big focus. The big focus. Big focus this week, Jamie, is the NLL, as you would know, uh, has just announced the dates for the upcoming National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame ceremony. I mentioned eight players, two officials going into the Hall of Fame. And then the following night, the NLL entry draft. Uh, Details coming out on this. Still awaiting the 
American broadcast rights. Uh, rumors swirling here. It's going to be ESPN Plus, which marries up nicely with the TSN relationship. Those those guys are kind of in cahoots with each other, so all of it kind of makes sense. But official announcement coming in in the coming weeks here or coming days, I would think. Um, but NLL Hall of Fame, it's going down on the 27th, and then the entry draft on the 28th. I tell you what, Jamie Dowick, uh, I'm not making the trip. If it wasn't so nuts to try and get to Buffalo from Vancouver, and especially right now with, with COVID and all the rest of it, I'd probably just buy myself a plane ticket and get there because I am having like major FOMO of, of missing out on this. Well, you want me to give you a, send you sideways then? <laughs> okay. I'm not going either. Oh, why, why not? Because it's too hard to get to Buffalo? Well, I mean, it's pretty easy for me to get to Buffalo. It takes me about an hour down the highway. But you can't but, drive across, uh, can you? I cannot drive across the border. And, you know, I have some concerns what's going to happen with both of these events right now. Because, you know, I, you, you can't even fly. Even if you wanted to fly from Toronto to Buffalo, you can't. You have to go via Philadelphia with like a nine-hour layover. Or Chicago or, or something or crazy. Or Chicago yeah. with a five What's up with I that, mean, by the way? Like Jenner was telling me he's got to go Victoria to Vancouver, Vancouver to O'Hare, O'Hare to Buffalo. Yeah, and and you cannot, you still cannot drive across the border, yeah. um, unless you are an essential worker. And uh, you know, I, I don't believe being the GM of the Toronto Rock qualifies me as an Does essential me. worker. Does to me? Does to so. me, Jamie? Does to me? <laughs> I appreciate that, but uh, yeah. So listen, um, you know, this should be an interesting week, I guess, because you know, I know there's a lot of questions and concerns about how people are going to get there and yeah you know um my kind of plan right now is you know to send one one representative down from my team for the draft and and uh the rock staff will hunker up here at the track and and the The war room yeah myself and and that'll be our war room and but even that you know i was thinking at the time that that one person would be able to drive over so um and listen I think by the time our season starts, hopefully this border thing uh, well needs to be a little more behind us. Yeah. I know you can get across right now with certain things flying, but um, you know we're not out of the woods yet, and and there's a lot of concern people as to well, there's goddamn there. Delta variant, Jamie. Like not to get off track here, but like good lord, people, if you haven't figured it out yet, now like. You're seeing the way this is going. Like, if you're not vaccinated, there's a good chance you're going to lose your job in in certain professions. So, yeah, you're starting to see it. Like, just with you know, people saying you can't do this in Canada, you can't do that in Canada. I think I read yesterday that the Winnipeg Jets announced that they're going 100% capacity in their arena, but you have to be double vaccinated to come in. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that's infringing on people's rights or uh, this and that. I, I think that's where we're going. Here. Yeah, it's, it's... Um, <laughs> you know, and if, if listen, you know, hey, I don't want to get into a you should I know. do this, you, I know. you should do that. I, I'm double vaccinated. I so think am everyone's I. had the opportunity to be vaccinated if they want to be. So if places, you know, personally, I, I want to see everything opened up. And if people aren't allowed in places because they've chosen not to get vaccinated, that's a choice they've made. And so be it. Yeah. But, 
you know, I think everyone that is double vaccinated and feels relatively safe, uh, you know, would like to get back to, to doing some things we're still not doing. And, yeah. you know, NLL lacrosse would be, you know, number one on my list. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, like, and and just to go, like, maybe why don't we start to get into to some stuff here? Because, like, we talked last week a lot about, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't know how many more people you need to see die before you figure out, like, hey, this is probably not a good thing to get. Maybe I'll get vaccinated. Like, anyways, um, we got into a oh, lot can of... Can I jump in? Yeah, i got to make yeah. a major correction from last week. I made a mistake last week. Oh. And I got a t- I got a phone call telling me I was wrong about something. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Here we go. Okay, like, okay, okay. Is, so let's. I want to somewhere talk somewhere Evan's smiling. I bet. Just so you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my boy, my boy Chugger called me. Okay. So regarding the franchise tag. Yeah. You can only tag one guy, which is true, but you can actually trade for a guy. So if Toronto has a franchise guy. And Buffalo has a franchise guy. I can actually, I can't sign a second guy to franchise money, Big. but I can trade for that for other okay. franchise guy. And then I, so you could have two or three on your team if you traded for them, which is highly unlikely because people aren't franchising a guy and then trading right. him. But it, it, it I could think happen. That happened with Sean Evans when mm. he moved. To New, Eng- to, to New England, I think Joey Rezateris or Callum Crawford at the time already had the tag. Okay. And he came with the tag. So, um, anyways, I just... There you go. I, Hall of Famer, oh. Steve Dietrich, Chugger, a friend of the program, uh, calling you out. I love it. Holding, <laughs> holding me accountable, which I love. <laughs> so, yeah, we talked a lot about, you know, uh, free agency and, and kind of the way all that sort of stuff works. We talked a lot about the Toronto rock, which, uh, which, you know, is understandably so for our first little chat there too. We talked a lot of Vancouver where I'm situated. So we'll try and kind of steer clear of that a little bit, but there are other things that I kind of wanted to get. And, and listen, like I got a ton of great feedback about the program last week and, and all the information that you kind of shared that people really want to know so i want you to know that um how about this let's talk about negotiations when you are talking with a player whether it's unrestricted restricted a rookie that's coming into the league i know there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there for for those guys but tell me like walk me through a negotiation with say an unrestricted free agent that has played in another market for the last eight years, but you want them, you pick up the phone. Tell me how that conversation would go. All right. Well, I mean, and, and you gotta, you gotta paint the picture here, obviously for everyone, you know, I'm, I'm based in Toronto, um, an unrestricted free agent. That's been with a team for eight years, um, that I'm interested in, you know, is probably based out of Toronto okay. more than likely. Um, you know, so so right off the hop, um, you know, I got I got a pair of aces, like uh, because <laughs> come, these, home. These, come, come home, come home, arms open, play in their home market yeah. in front of their family and friends. So, you know, hey, listen, I, I'll I'll express my, uh, you know, if it's someone I've got to, so I wasn't active at all this year in free agency. So, you know, I was asleep at ten o'clock 
on free agency eve. But in years that I do want to be active with a player, you know, my general process would be midnight yeah, hits. 12, yeah, twelve oh one. I'll send him a text <laughs> saying, "Hey, it's Jamie Dow from Toronto Rock. Love to have a chat with you tomorrow." Boom, done. Go to bed. You know, and and you know, and then. It's tough. Like everyone's situation is different, right? Um, you know, and I always felt like, you know, for the most part, some teams have to offer certain guys more money because, you know, obviously it's a fly-in market, and and you know, time is money and travel and this and that, and so so the negotiations, you know, do get very complicated from you know top to bottom there. So, like, how uh, many phone calls? would you have or like even an in-meeting person and i guess it kind of depends whether you know the guy or not previous to to the relationship but like how long is a, a usual process is this like because we see the transaction wire come out and you know that that contract could have been signed a week ago or that you know you could have been agreed to the deal even two weeks ago it just hasn't come out yet so when you start a negotiation to the time you kind of put pen to paper how long does that process usually take well, that's going to totally depend on on the guy in the situation, and then and then really, you know, a guy could sign a contract with me. It could be signed from him and from me, and for whatever reason, it could take me two weeks to get that into the league office. So, you know, there's a lot of that. I, listen, it all depends. Like, my, you know, when I signed Dan Dawson as an unrestricted free agent a few years ago. You know, the conversation took five seconds. Right. Um, hey, I want you here. He says, there's nowhere else I want to be. So, <laughs> that's you know, it. like. Yeah. Two sentences. That, done. 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 Yeah. Okay, now let's just figure out the money part. And, yeah. like, for the most part, um, you know, the money thing isn't hasn't been a huge issue in this league right now. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on that, that – you know, seems to be getting a little carried away. I, I mean, I brought this up last week. Um, you know, really, what can you pay a guy? You can pay a guy max, and you can give him whatever amount of the – you have bonus you have money. Bonus, yeah. You have a bonus money. You have a bottom that you have to sp- uh, spend. You have two. to spend to a certain amount, and you can't go over a certain amount. So to me, that's what what you can pay a guy to play lacrosse. Now, where it gets complicated is guys working for teams and organizations and whatever, and and that's where you you know you're hearing guys are signing for these big deals, um, you know that that are attached to jobs, and really to me it's you know a matter of whether or not those le- jobs are le- legit or not. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and there know, and there my, have been my, my just just for situation in Toronto would be very different than pretty well every team in this league right. because I'm, I, you know, players are generally wanting to come to me as much as I'm wanting them to come to me because this is home. Yeah. And like there, and just to be clear, like some of those air quotes jobs, there's been plenty where they've been legit. And then there's probably been maybe just as many where they haven't been. And I think that that's something that's going to get cracked down on. And and just to go back a second here, Jamie, and I don't even know if you can comment on this or yet, because it might be a, an NLLPA question, but do we know if, if the league is going to go down the road of players needing to be double vaccinated in order to play in the league in the season this year? Like, is I, that, has that been talked about? It, 
I've asked the question myself um, a, while, a couple months ago, at least. And at the time, you know, it was believed that I don't believe we were going to be able to force anyone to do that. Um, I haven't heard anything since. Okay. So, because it looks I mean, like the listen, NFL is going the down bigger, there, right? Like that's what it looks like. Yeah, the, yeah. Listen, the more the more all these other teams and as hockey and basketball open, and, and there's those you know rules and restrictions with their arenas and whatever. I mean, to me, that only helps us. Listen to me. You, if you want to play in the NLL, I think you have to be double vaccinated because. If you're not, I don't believe you're going to be able to cross the border. No, and, and you're going to cut like it's going to affect not just yourself; it affects tons of other people that could really send the season to a crashing halt. Right. Yeah. Right. I so I just like so I don't think we have to necessarily enforce it from a league standpoint, but you know, like as a team guy, yeah, you know, maybe it's I'm a team by team to, thing. Yeah, maybe it'll like, be a team thing. I. I need to know that all my people are double vaccinated because if they're not, I don't believe they're going to be able to cross the border. Yeah. And if they can't cross the border, then I, I don't think they can play for me. Yeah. Like I I'm think I'm not looking no, for no. part-time players. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, Jamie, I, w- I want to ask you this. You, you mentioned like you could sign a contract with a player for whatever and then two weeks like you don't get into the office for two weeks and we've seen this like multiple times and i've gotten myself in in hot water before as have others but when when that deal gets done and then a guy like me finds out about it and puts it out to the world before the team can announce it because they're sitting on it for two weeks what like why get upset about this is my thing well like, I, I don't i mean listen, i know you don't but people do and i guess this is this is my point like here's the problem with our league okay is and and i consider you to be maybe as far removed as this as anyone but you know most of our let's i mean let's call them insiders or reporters or whatever you want to call them mm. They all work for teams, which is not normal. Like, no, Adam Schefter doesn't work for the Denver Broncos, right? You know, and you know, and so that that's the problem with our league is when we get information, are, it usually comes from an inside source from a team, right? And then you know, the, the problem I have is, you know, it. If you work for a team, you know, like you're privy, you, you're privy to that info. You're not well, but entitled. Not only to, if you work for a team, I mean, like, I, you know, you work for a team. You're when you're when you're doing a report on something, and you're supposed to be giving an unbiased opinion on something, but you work for one of the teams. Your your opinion is always going to be swayed towards that that team. Sure. And and you know, so it's it's just. It's messy. It needs to be, but we're not big enough and mainstream enough. There's no one paying someone's bills just to be that oh. neutral yeah. kind of, you know. But no one's come along and killed it, and I guess, and, and whatever. I mean, it, it just it makes it all different. And and those people get access to information. So if they get it from the team side and then go and want to break the news, but like to me, um, you know, when I sign. 
you know, I don't even know if you've seen it on the transaction wire yet. And I broke it last. Oh, yeah, it came out the it other did. day <laughs> it uh, about Jason. And, and so I signed them. They signed me. Like, we agree to the terms. We're sending paperwork back and forth. So a signature's got to get on both sides. Uh, usually, generally, pretty quick. If guys know how to print, scan, send back, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, to me... If I'm sitting on it because my PR guy's not ready to go or this and that, and you know, that information gets out and I haven't told my player, can you keep this down until we release it or whatever, then, you know, it's it's kind of on me for not getting it getting yeah, it the, into the league for whatever reason. I get so, I get that teams I, wanna wanna be the one to kind of roll it out and make the announcement. But the way I look at it, like if people are talking about the league or your team I don't quite understand how that's a bad thing. Even if it's in, and we've seen examples lately uh, of the PLL and, and Dan Arestia kind of getting shut down because he had some negative things to say about the league and couldn't really speak freely and got muzzled a little bit. And, it, and it's happened in our league as well, Jamie. And I, like, I'd really love to be able to get to a point where we could talk positively and negatively from time to time about some things that need to be said. But right now, like you said, we're not big enough to do that, I guess. And and people get pretty sensitive over over these types of things. But for me, like if you're talking about it, people care and they're talking about it. This isn't a bad thing. Yeah, no. And I and listen, I welcome that. I, it become, kind of goes back to what I just said. It's weird when that guy talking, let's say, criticizing what you're doing. We're, and, and yeah, no Brad, bad so trade or whatever got ripped off in the trade. Because it's not specific, but, you know, someone's a reporter and they work for the bandits. Yeah. And, you know, they're right, you know, they, they, they have access to information from the inside and then they're giving their opinion on, you know, rivals that they dislike and this and that. If that person is completely removed from all of that and just, you know, gives an unbiased opinion... That's great for our league, good or bad. Right. You know, like, I mean, that, like, talk about it. But, but you want someone to be able to form an opinion based on their own findings. Yes. I think that's it, right? Based on their own findings. Given information, swayed one way or another what an opinion is or this and that. Right. Based on their own findings, um, I think is the key. And, and I think we'll get there, Jamie. And listen, like, I, I think I've learned. To, to walk that line pretty well over the course of my career on, on what I can say, what I can't say, and when I do say it, how I say it, and why I say it. Like, it's it's a bit of a tap dance, man. It's not an easy thing to do to kind of know when to leak information or how to leak it and all that sort of stuff. Like like I said, I've gotten myself in trouble plenty of times yeah. by, by not doing it the right way, but I think now, like, I've kind of figured that part out. I think so. I think you've done a good job with that. It's like, know, know, know what your lane is. Know what you're good at. Focus on that and, and stay in your lane, yeah, right? Yeah, like, the whole thing of trying to be I, first I never really appealed now. to me. Like, you know, there's people out there that want to be the person that breaks the news the fastest and, yeah. and they'll get it wrong. Like, for me, when I break something, I'll double and triple check that it is in fact true before I put something like that out out there in the in the universe. So I know I would what say you've become more of a fact guy. Yeah. You know, I don't see you as one of those guys anymore, at least that's racing to be the first yeah. one to try and get yeah. something out Not there. I it. see you as a guy that's 
just reporting the facts once they've already been announced. And, and that, to me, is, you know, like... Nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's I like safe. It. It's I like safe. It. It's my safe space, man. Hey, what's it like to fire a coach? Uh, that is not fun. No. To, like, you know, walk and, me through that process when, when you know it's time, oh, they probably man. know it's time, and you got to make that call or, hey, come uh, into the office and, and we're going to have a conversation. All right, well, listen, I've been through that process twice in Toronto. Um, I did not do one of them because Terry Sanderson was still the GM at the time, and so, you know, he dealt with the Troy situation. Um, and I had to do, um, Lovell. the John Lovell one. And you say he probably knew it was coming. Um, he didn't you know, no, he, he didn't. And, you know, whether he did or didn't, it still wasn't fun. And, you know, the funny thing is, and this is back to, you know, where I think our league needs to, we joke about this with Maddie. Both of those guys won Coach of the Year the year they got fired. Um, yeah, that's so rare. Maddie, Maddie says to me, you know, listen, I don't ever want to win Coach of the Year here because <laughs> I know what's going to happen after I do that or whatever. I mean, listen, that's back, back to like, you know, I just think, you know, people voting – not to take anything away because there was different circumstances when it went into both of those situations. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, necessarily about wins and losses. So, yeah. Um, more to the picture it, sometimes, right? Abs- absolutely more to the picture sometimes. So listen, man, it's not fun. It's not, listen, it's no different to fire to me now. So since I've taken over for T, I mean, this, this is one of the hard, shitty parts of the job. I mean, there's no. Fun, it's not fun to fire a coach. It's not fun to let a player go. Yeah, you know, cut a guy. Yeah. Trying, you know, cutting a guy. Uh, trading a guy. Training camp. You know, trading guys and, and having to tell them. You know, and especially back to most guys want to be here because it's home. So, you know, trading guys is really tough. And you know contract negotiations too like uh gets personal right well they you you can't let them get personal it's a business and you know i just went through this with damon and 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 damon um had signed signed with the riptide and and uh you know i had 10 years with damon here and and you know it's just not not a fun process to go through with a guy like that yeah um or anyone, you know, you're, you're breaking someone's heart. I mean, how does it feel to get fired from anything you love doing and want to do? It, it's the worst. So, um, that's a shitty part of the job, but I'll tell you. So what, how does me, it go, man, Jamie? Like, how does it go? He taught me just be, you know, the one thing I'll net more than anything that that guy ever taught me or whatever. And, you know, I was kind of this way anyways, but he said, Jamie, take it up head on. Don't pit, you know, don't delay it. Don't whatever. Don't pussyfoot around. Just delay. don't pussyfoot around it and just be brutally honest. And, you know, like, hey, at the end of the day, you might be wrong, you know, and, and people don't like hearing it. But he always said to me, like, you know, after they leave and after they're gone and whatever, you know, when 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 the, the, the steam blows off, you know, they at least 
respect you were straight up and honest yeah. with them. And, and it wasn't, it's not day- you, it's me. Like, you know, come on. Well, it, yeah, I, it's just, you know, like, I, I, and so that's what I, I try and do with everyone. And am I right all the time? Heck no. And I mean, that's just not possible. But I, 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 I tell them how I feel. I'm straight up with them about what their situation is, where I see them. You know what's coming up here and there, and you know, and, and in in certain situations, you let them make a decision. Or, um, but you know, lying to guys and promising guys stuff, and 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 delaying the inevitable, and this and that does not make any situation better, in my opinion. And you know, like I said, I'll I owe all that to to the big guy. He taught me all that, and he was the best at it. No doubt about it. I can. I mean, uh, not that he would enjoy doing something like that, but I guess he would just like he wouldn't have a problem with it. It was if it was time, it was time, and and he'd uh, make the move. Speaking of making the move, Jimmy, let's uh, let's take a break and make a move into quarter number two. I didn't even get to half the stuff I want to talk to you about, but a good thing we still got a couple of weeks together, so we'll get. To more of uh, the kind of the behind the scenes inside stuff with Jamie Dowick in the coming weeks, but we got to get to the second quarter because we got John Grant Jr. on the other side. Calls to the hall coming up on Lax Class right here on Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified as we move into the second quarter. And here in quarter number two, we like to do a little something called Calls to the Hall. And we're about to do another one with this man right here, John Grant Jr., who spent 17 seasons in Rochester and Colorado, not each, combined after being selected first overall in 1999. Retired top 10 all-time with 668 goals, 778 assists for 1,446 points. Crazy numbers, uh, accolades, championships, all the rest of it. it. It would literally take an hour to run down the entire resume of John Grant Jr. So we'll just get him on the line here, back on the podcast. Jr., well, first off, congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction. Well-deserved, I would say. Um, I know you're you're on the, the 401 or something like that right now. Then What are they called? The QEW back there? And, and on to trying to get out of Barry across the border is uh, – you're taking the family, your lovely wife, Reagan, and, of course, the Gabs are all in the car with you right now, heading back down south. How is it going? It's going. I'm actually solo. They're staying. I'm oh, uh, okay. heading back to Hopkins to get three or four days of work in. I'm going to have to drive back again uh, Thursday or Friday to pick them back up and drive them all the way back down. So. Okay, so we can swear on the podcast then because I thought Gabster was in the car. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to drop any four-letter words there. But uh, we'll try not to do that anyways, man. Uh, well... I don't know where to begin, John. Like there, it's it's an amazing career that you've had, and and I always kind of classify it as this. I think I think Gary Gate might be the best all around lacrosse player ever, and I put you into the category as being the best offensive lacrosse player in both field and box the game has ever seen. Do, do you think that's a fair comment to make, Junior? I mean, what am I going to say? Well, I don't know. Um, like, where, where, how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel like I could have changed the scenario of what you just said, but the way the career ended, I, you know, kind of ended right around where you said. And, you know, I think JT was the best NLL guy. Obviously, he played for 
ever. Seven years. And that's probably um, why, right? And, like, uh, not to take anything away from him, but his longevity just kind of outlasted yours, and you can't you can't deny that. Well, I mean, it's like a hockey guy saying, "Do you like Gordie Howard or Wayne Gretzky?" I mean, I think Wayne Gretzky's the best hockey player, and I think Gary Gates the best lacrosse player. But JT got the numbers to to be in the in the conversation. But um, you know, I think that's it fair. What the Gates did, I know. I don't know if we're talking right now. So that's true. It's true. We've had both Paul and Gary on, both Hall of Famers in their own right, to kind of walk us through that. I didn't really realize they were so instrumental in in really kind of forming the NLL away from the MILL. Like, they well, were the I mean, really they, ones that I mean, started they, up the Players Association and kind of the breakaway to, to make it all happen, right? Yeah, they were going to teams to, you know, make that team better, <laughs> to get people in the seats. I mean, what, they were in Detroit, they were in Philly, and then obviously – you know, Washington, Pittsburgh, you know, wherever a team needed a boost, they put those guys there. And obviously, you know, Gary was instrumental in getting Colorado on the map. And, you know, luckily for me, Colorado is what, you know, kind of helped me become who I am. So, you know, I'm indebted to him for more than just that. I mean, I posted those guys on my wall growing up and tried to tried to do what they you know, have done. So that's awesome. You know, that's started awesome. with my old man was my idol, and then it, it became Gary. I remember, you know, another Hall of Famer, Kolesky, and I used to always argue about who was better, Paul or Gary. And he always sided on the Paul. He's like, he's more unselfish. I'm like, well, Gary's better. So we we'd end up like getting in wrestling matches or fights about who was better. So that's kind of how I grew up. Well, let's... it's always tough. Let me jump in. Yeah, here yeah, absolutely. It's, absolutely. All, it's always tough to compare guys from different generations because you know the game's changed like the game was very different from when paul and gary played as to you know when john and you know both john's and colin for example when when you guys were shining and and the game's changed again today and you know when i came kind of into the league full swing i mean there was clearly you know, the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of lacrosse. And, and to me, John Grant Jr., John Tavares, and Colin Doyle, those three were definitely 100% on it. And and Chugger and I joke about, you know, the Hall of Fame getting voted in. They were looking for three offensive players, and you had John Grant Jr. <laughs> and Colin Doyle on the ballot. Uh, you know, they were looking for one guy there. And, and the long, over, long overdue for you guys to go in, John, you should have been in. You know, five years ago when, when it should have continued, but congratulations on that. Oh, I appreciate it. And you're, I mean, I've been a fan of the game, and I I can't disagree more. The game in the 90s in the MILL is completely different than when I started in, you know, 2000 or whatever it was, and it's completely different now. But, I mean, I to be quite honest, I would have loved to play in the 90s. I'm, I mean, to me, it seems like a different game and not to disparage Americans, but it was a lot of players that didn't know box and the boys are really small and that's <laughs> yeah. a really big. I'm like, wow, that would, that would have been kind of fun to, you know, playing a bunch of guys. Yeah. The first time I was drafted. Playing yeah. against a I bunch of Americans. Five years in the yeah. 90s. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would have. I think you would have, John. Uh, I, listen, man, let's, let's start at, at the beginning and, and kind of work our way through here. And I know, I know you've talked about your career a bunch here, but, uh, and, and we want to focus mainly on, on your NLL career, but growing up in, in Peterborough there with, with your dad and senior, and, and obviously you were just glued to the game from a very young age, but 
maybe I'll ask you this. Like, that's obviously how you found the game. But when, when did you realize that, like, hey, I'm pretty good at this, and I think I can make something out of myself in the game of lacrosse? Well, I mean, that was never the goal. My goal was always, you know, win a man cup with the Lakers and win a gold medal with Team Canada because that's all I knew. That's what my dad did. So, I mean, I knew he played for the Wings, but it wasn't kind of an aspiration to play pro because, you know, when I was kind of growing up, it, it kind of was going on, but it wasn't, you know, I never went to a game. I heard the games back in the Buffalo Wad were unbelievable. But, you know, I got to play or I got to watch my dad play in 87. In the wings, it was crazy, but the league, I don't know. So, like I said, Lakers, Canada, that was kind of all I thought of. And, you know, luckily, between the time I first got drafted to the Bandits in 95 and then when I ultimately went to the Nighthawks in 99 or 2000 or whatever, um, the league grew leaps and bounds. And, you know, it, it changed from what it was, kind of a, you know, beer league to like a real professional league. So, I, I was – kind of really fortunate that I kind of came in when the league started to really explode and you know like I said growing up wasn't really what I was trying to do I just I knew I was decent at it I mean I was really tiny and I played and I you know did really well and I was always just trying to escape the shadow of my old man so that so whether it was a pro league or not I would have just kept trying to play to be as good as I could just to kind of jump out from that shadow did that's that- kind of how I looked at things did that motivate you more than anything, John, trying to be better and, and outlive that shadow of your father? Like, did, is that something that motivated you on a daily basis? Oh, the whole time. That's all. That's what drove me when I played against my, you know, old man and his buddies in the backyard or my buddies in the backyard or whether I was playing a team from another city. Like, every time I had a stick in my hand, that's what I was trying to do. And, um, you know, ultimately I think it worked out. But, you know, <laughs> a lot of other things kind of, were sacrificed for that goal. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how I grew up, running around, following them around, and trying to be better than all those guys. And that's kind of what drove me. Jamie, you want to jump in? We'll kind of go back and forth here if you got some questions. Um, listen, Junior, I, I said, I listen, I, I, to me, I, I just love watching your – like, the, you're the magician with the stick. There's no – the one thing I will say, people can argue who was a better player, this, that, whatever. As long as I've been around, I've never seen anyone, you know, use that stick and score. You know, everyone will say, oh, that's an unbelievable crazy goal and whatever. But when you do it 100 times, you know, 100 different ways, you know, at some point it's like, no, this isn't just crazy stuff. And I just – that was the thing I enjoyed most about – you know, you were a guy that could score any which way at any any time. Just just scary to play against, and and could score as many quick, fast, multiple times. And you know, um, you know that, that that's how I always looked at it. I just love watching you, even when you're when I see you playing your master stuff. You're still doing it, and, and, and it's just fun to watch. <laughs> did so, you ever have coaches? I love, I love it. Did you ever have coaches, John, that discouraged you from trying stuff like that? Because, like, I remember, but like, if you threw a backhand pass in, in practice or whatever in junior A, and 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 you didn't put it on the money, like you were doing push ups or you're running stairs or something like that, like, but that was something that you always did, and and more often than not, were successful at it. But I'm sure there were times where it was like, okay, why are you do? Why are you trying that? Why are you doing? Like, did coaches ever give you a hard time or try and clamp down on you for for being imaginative? Well, I literally had one coach that wasn't my dad in minor in 
Tyke, and I remember him giving me the gears about throwing behind the backs, but, the, you know, I was literally the only kid on our team that could catch. So I'm, you know, bouncing behind the back passes and Tyke off of the guys on our team's helmets and stuff. And he used to always kind of yell at me about it. But after that first season, my dad literally coached me all the way till junior A, so yeah. he never discouraged it. I mean, he's the one that kind of taught me how to do it. And, you know, and as much as he taught me or I just watched what he was doing in the backyard and like, oh, you're doing that, I can do it. And it was just kind of a tit for tat. Well, you're doing this, I'll, I'll try it too. And, you know, that whole one-handed thing, I learned that from him. We used to, he would do it from one end of the, the box to the other. And I obviously didn't have the strength at like seven or eight years old, but I was trying it. Yeah. I was back with a wooden stick. So I, I only kind of knew one way. That's how I learned to play. I, was, I wasn't I was fast when I was young. I was really small too. So I needed every trick in the book to get it done. And, you know, fortunately at 19, 20 years old, I kind of grew and, you know, I carried that repertoire with me and it kind of all kind of worked out. But it's kind of funny you say that. I got a text from Kyle Harrison yesterday. There's a, you know, college highlights floating around on the inter- on, you know, Twitter and stuff. And I hadn't seen my stuff in college. And he's like, and he literally he's like, I thought you just kind of learned how to do that as a pro. He goes, you're a sick freak. You were doing that in college like 20 years ago. I'm like, I don't remember doing it. I just, that's, I just remember that's how I played. That's kind of how I always played. And, you know, fortunately, as our game kind of grew, some of it got caught on film later. But, yeah, I was doing that stuff in Pee Wee and Bantam and, I knew no other way. That's just the way I played. It wasn't fancy to me. It was a means of getting the, the job done. And kind of like people talk about how fancy it was. But to me, that was just, for me, it was meat and potatoes. That's how I put the ball in the net. That's how I got the ball to my teammates. And it really, it's a, a case of, like, you take what's given to you. And you don't, like, I mean, I think the process for your mind to, to kind of compute and think, okay, this is the right time to pull this off. Not everybody has that. And, and you definitely do, but it's never, never something that you ever did just to kind of try and show off. Like, you did it because you thought it was going to be the right move at the right time and be effective. Yeah, I never really I, – I mean, I hate to say it, but I never really thought. Like, I wasn't thinking while I was playing. Like, stuff just intuitively happened. Sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but it was never like I'm going to go into – other than playing all-star games with Doyler and we're, like, trying to one-up each other with trick stop. Like, stuff just happened. And, like I said, sometimes it worked and sometimes it, it, it didn't. But I never really thought about anything I did while I was playing. I just played. And, honestly, it was the best time ever because those two hours, I literally, my brain would shut off and everything just seemed to work. And that's what I loved about playing. That's why I kept playing. Because it was just two hours of like heaven for me, where I could freedom. truly be who I yeah the freedom to do what I. And people are like, well, that's not really freedom. You're getting killed the whole time. <laughs> I, I mean, I say now golfing with people, I can't putt. I wish someone was just cross checking me. Slashing your hands <laughs> right awesome. as you're on the pullback, and and Jamie, I, I want to ask him about uh, Colin Doyle here a little bit because we had we had Doyler on, and and I asked him about you. Like I remember when you guys were were teammates in Coquitlam for a summer or two, and you know whether it was practice or you know playing euchre or whatever it was, you guys were like competing with each other as teammates, mm-hmm. and. As opponents, like, it was even more fierce. And and Colin said there was times, like, you know, you'd walk past in, in, in the lower concourse and 
it wasn't exactly friendly, but I know like the mutual respect was there and that Colin said like you pushed him to be even better than than he thought he could be and I would I would expect the same answer out of you. Tell me about your relationship with Colin and, and how it's developed and how you guys pushed each other to be better. Yeah, there was definitely mutual respect, but I mean, we played one season with him together. And to be honest, I think his, his and I, mine are like dynamic. Actually, I think hurt the squad because we, I to myself, I wasn't able to, to turn off, turn it off. Like it was like, he's my opponent with Brampton. He's my opponent with the rock. And we weren't like, we tried, we went to Whistler one of the first weekends to try to really put it together. But at the end of the day, we we just were so darn competitive. Yeah. Like we just weren't able to put it together on the floor, you know, and then you add Kluski to the mix and that whole <laughs> dynamic just didn't really work. And, um, you know, that's one of my biggest regrets. I think, feel like if I could have just relented a little bit, it would have been probably an opportunity to win a man cup out there. But I mean, loved watching them. The guys went one wherever he's played and, we ended up figuring it out with, you know, Canada and then ultimately the Rattlers where we, we got old enough and figured that, like, we could really be really good together. Like, <laughs> But you're right. We'd see each other. And it's like, hey, but it was, like, usually competitive comments back and forth. But, yeah, pushing each other, no doubt. The difference between the athletes today and that, like, because Colin talks to me about this to this day. And, you know, he says it bothers him how – you know, guys are so buddy-buddy with guys on the other team. And, you know, like, it's like you can't just turn that off and on. And I know our, our, our sport's interesting like that because there is so much crossover. But, you know, it was, you know, you take you two, for example. I mean, you competed against each other for, you know, 20 years. Plus, you know, pro- back to minor at the highest level. And, and and you had two of the best players in the world. It, it just, the rivalry is just definitely going to be there. And nowadays it seems like, you know, that's, you know, he always gets on me about our team saying, you know, there's got to be a little more hatred towards the other team because ultimately to win, you have to have that. It, you agree with that? Oh, hundred percent. Like, and you know, I've, I've lost relationships over the game and gained some, but yeah, like back back then, it's like you said. Whenever you would put like I'm, you know, to reference Team Canada or whatever. I remember the one year and we, the only year I won, we were in, we won with the Nighthawks in Arizona. Then we had to fly to Halifax for the World Indoors, and like Dawson and a couple of the guys from Arizona came into the room and like me and Toll and Williams and you know we're laughing and having a good time and they walk in and it was like. You know, like a scene from a movie. Like, uh, like, what do we do uh, now? Awkward. <laughs> do we go grab each other? Like, how do we put this <laughs> together? I mean, even later, and like some guys still get it. Like Dan Coates basically lived at my house in Colorado at the end of my career. But when I played him for Six Nations, like we beat the snot out of each other. Didn't speak. I tried to talk to him to get in his head, but and my old man even said he goes, "Wow, like you guys really get it. Like you guys hate each other." Doesn't he live at your house? I'm like. Yeah, and we would go through maybe three weekends of training camp before we'd start, you know, before the relationship would rebuild. Because wow. when you're on the floor, you do what you take to win. I don't care who's on the other side. Yeah. Um, I really think that, that is lost on our game. I think and, that is lost on our game, John. That that If you're wearing a different color jersey than me, you are not my friend. I can talk to you off the floor and, and whatever else, but 
Like, I think that's a bit lost in our game these days. I think you're right about that, Jamie, that, and Colin, for that matter, that that's kind of gone away from, from our game a bit. Oh, it, it definitely has. And it, I think the way the game is now, and you play on field teams together, play on box teams against, like, the game itself now just Crossover. there's so many different opportunities to play that it yeah. – but back in the day, like, you – I mean, I even know we were trying to recruit Sean Williams to play for Peterborough senior one year, and he's like, I can't. Like, I legitimately cannot. I can't put that stick on in Dawson. I, I heard Dawson was the same way. Like, yeah. they had yeah. an opportunity to get him. He's like, I'm, I'm not going. I can't put it on. I won't put it on. I don't care. What I tease like, I, and- Hazer about that all the time. I ask him as a, you know, because Hazer's as Brampton as they come. And I'm like, how can you coach Peterborough? And he's just like, you know, I go, I, I, I just don't, under, like, to me, it's, and, and we had this with the junior A's, like, you know, kids with the 22-year-olds being able to play here. It's like Orangeville got rid of all their 22-year-olds. And I'm thinking, you know, how can an orange a kid that's worn an Orangeville jersey his entire career pull on a Mimico jersey for three weeks? I just don't understand it personally. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's, it's a different breed of kid now anyways, but – now kids, kids are they'll play where they can play, and it's it, it just that internal rivalry just isn't there like it used to be. I mean, I remember it minor, like my two biggest oh maybe even enemies more. were Hamilton and Brampton. Yeah, Hamilton and Brampton. Do you even bring the, those two cities up? And I get like, you know, I get kind of fired up about it. Itchy. I mean, yeah. even at college, yeah. someone mentions Towson, I get kind of ticked off because <laughs> that was my rivalry at Delaware sure. when I was in college, and you know, kids. So I was trying to. Re- get into college like oh, i really like towson i'm like no you're not going <laughs> so it's i think it's just a, a product of you know the age we are yeah and the, the young guys maybe still have it i mean well i just even brody and i are coaching team canada together but i mean we tried to kill each other you know numerous times yeah. and you know um great one of my you know really good friends but when we played against each other you wouldn't think we even knew each other yeah yeah, well, I mean, Brody's Brody's an old school throwback too, and I just like I think you're right. I think the cro- there's so much crossover now that that guys are playing with each other and against each other on so many different teams and leagues. It's bound to happen as we speak with Hall of Famer John Grant Jr. and I want to talk about the magical 07 series or season. I want to talk about your your 116 point season. I want to talk about Jersey retirement night in Colorado. But one thing I've I've heard you mention in, in a number of interviews, it kind of, once you were inducted is talking about how you weren't really a great teammate early in your career and that it took you time to figure that out. I, I want you to kind of walk me through why, why you felt like that and, and how you changed and developed and became a better teammate later on in your career. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, you know, being surrounded by, you know, really good people. But first year with Nighthawks, you think it was, you know, Randy Mearns, Dewey Jacobs, Kurt Malofsky, Chugger. About it. Like, all these guys now are running teams. You know, and I came in, I know I was older, but as a rookie, and I only kind of knew one way, and it was, you know, I was playing on some kind of bad Peterborough teams, and even at Delaware, I was given the keys, and, you know, it's your team, go do what you want. Um, You know, and it took one night after a loss in Rods, or I forget where we were, Philly maybe, and they called me down to one of the other hotel rooms and sat me down. There was like four or five of them. Just like, you're, this isn't your team. Like, you need to learn to be a better teammate. 
you're really, really good. Yeah, but like this is the way it works here. So I'm like, okay. And I mean, I completely submitted and I said, I'm sorry. Like, you know, there were some tears and, you know, almost some fist fights, but it was like, okay, like show me how to do this. I, I don't know any other way. I only wasn't doing it on purpose. I just knew one way. And, you know, I was fortunate to be surrounded by really good leaders and really good players. And they kind of helped. And it was kind of a turning point in our season. We ended up winning, you know, the rest of our games and losing with a second to go, but it was a, kind of a turning point and it I'm not saying it was an automatic thing overnight I mean I still went several years where I you know thought I was smarter than everyone else but you know it was never on purpose I just I always thought I had to do what I had to do for the team to win and didn't think well you know this is what we need to do as a team you know the kind of me versus me thing um but once you know honestly my knee surgery in 04 kind of coming back and not being as physically capable as I was where I I had no other choice. I had to kind of join in and, and be part of a, of a squad and give everything I could to the squad. And that's literally when things started clicking and, you know, I started being on winning teams. So I just, you know, it's kind of one of those blinders, blinders things. I didn't know. Um, I thought I gave everything I was given to the team and it turns out I, was it ever, I had that kind of morphed into a. I was going to say, was it ever difficult for you to be like, to be that much better than everybody and not have them think kind of the same way that you were thinking or be ready for passes that you were thinking like, Oh, this is, I see this look and, and it bounces off their face. Matt, like, was that ever frustrating to you to not be surrounded by as talented as players as you were? No, that was never frustrating. Cause I never really worried about anything other than how I was playing. I think that was, you know, to harken back to what you said, yeah, I was so focused on what I was doing and if I was playing well or not playing well and how that affected the team that I basically was selfish in the fact that I just never, you know, I would, you know, headbutt stuff or break sticks and then just, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not playing good. They're like, we're winning by seven. <laughs> like, I could never, I could never just be okay with winning. I, even after championships, I'm like, all I wanted to do was play again the next day because I'm like, shit, I didn't really play well tonight. But, you know, I got a trophy in my hand. And I could, it really took a long time for me to, to figure it out. Like, like relax. Like, this is a team game and you can have bad quarters. You can have bad games. And I just, I don't know, I was so wrapped up to. When not, did that happen you know, for you, John? Like, play. when? what year do you think that actually, where the light kind of went off and was like, okay, like, I can, I can do it this way and be okay. It never really went went away. No. I mean, I could, I could put it. But aside, I think a junior I mean, I, in your in your defense, I think I think that's just part. That's you know, what I makes it great. Stories. Right? I, I I listen to your stories, and it remind. I don't want to keep bringing up Colin's name, but it reminds me of him. Like I think that's just part of growing up and evolving as a player. And you know, when I met Colin, it was in 2010. You know, I, Colin was the greatest leader ever that I was around. I heard some horror stories about Colin Doyle as a young player on the Toronto Rock, and he'll he'll be the first one to tell you that. And and I just and I say to him now, it's you know that's just the evolution of of growing up, and you know I see it with my kids just in life. I see them doing stuff I was doing when I was their age, and and now thirty years later, you know you see it differently, and I and I think you just you know when you 
you just evolve like that. And, and I, I watched you evolve like that in the, in the time I saw you play and, 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 you know, you're right. You only knew one way. You just wanted to be the best you could ever be. And can, can you fault someone for that? I can't. I cannot. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You just, you learn, I mean, you grow up for some people. Right. The, the growing up process takes decades, and for some it takes a few years. I was going to say, hopefully it, it, hopefully it happens uh, sooner than later here for me. Uh, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still waiting. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about 07 Junior, because this year for you was absolutely ridiculous. Would you put down 07 as the, as the greatest year of your career? Like outdoor, indoor, internet, like all of it? I mean, it would be hard not to. I mean, you know, they talk about Grand Slams and and honestly, I know I won a few titles that year, but I'm still, you know, ticked off that we didn't win the Rattler year. That was the year we had the championship in Rochester. I thought we were the best field across team for a decade or so. We just ended up choking at home. But, yeah, I mean, things just – and I was, you know, kind of saying that. I was on good teams. Things just seemed to work. I was able to play really well, but – you know, and make my teammates better, which was important, but I had great players around me and it just, things worked. And, you know, it was a, it was a special year and, you know, what was it? NLL and um, then world indoors and then man cup and, you know, a bunch of stuff, but, you know, I had a pretty good run there for two or three years. And then, you know, with the whole near death thing that kind of put a stop to it, because we were on a roll, the teams we were on were winning, you know, it seemed like, Every year, I was in a championship. Well, I know, um, I know you've told the the story like so many times, Junior. But I mean, I maybe it's time to tell it one more time here on Calls to the Hall for people that don't know what you went through and and literally almost dying due to a surgery. Do you want to walk us through this? No pun intended. Yeah, I mean, I you know being back in, I haven't been home in five years, so you know, kind of we're reminiscing about a lot of this stuff, and it's kind of fresh in my mind, but. Yeah, I was playing. We won a championship with Rattlers on a Sunday. Flew home, played against Brampton on a Tuesday. Lost game six. You know, it was Wednesday was out on a boat, you know, hanging out, getting some sun, relaxing. And then, yeah, Wednesday, or Thursday morning for game seven, basically woke up and was screaming my head off. And my knee was the size of a basketball. Anyways, infection nearly killed me. They were going to take my leg. My wife told them no kind of thing and you know spent 40 some odd days in the hospital and four months on iv antibiotics and then uh you know i had to sit a whole year out to, to get this thing going but so it's reagan that i was a, sorry john i i want to back up here for a second like you were so out of it that you couldn't even make decisions for your own health and it was reagan that like refused to have them amputate your leg and, and because they thought that was going to save yeah your i was basically Family was called to say goodbye. They couldn't find an antibiotic to, like, kill this infection that had me. I was septic. Um, and then they figured it out that, it, you know, it was in my knee where I had a cadaver ACL that that was the problem. And, like, because, you know, the antibiotics weren't getting into the ACL because, well, I mean, that's why they fix them, right? right. Um, so, they're like, we can save them, but we got to chop them off just below the hip. My wife said, you know, made the game time decision don't do it if he wakes up with no leg like he's not gonna want to be alive yeah yeah we don't and you know i i don't know because it never happened but you know it's easy to say now i i don't know how i would have handled it but she made the decision they said okay well we 
we give them 24 more hours with this other antibiotic, and if it doesn't get better, like, basically they're like, we're going to take like take it out of yeah. your hands and do it because we're not going to let them die on our table, basically. Wow. So it was, uh, I don't remember really any of it. I was pretty out of it. But, uh, yeah, that that all happened. And, like I said, 40 days in my in the hospital in Peterborough. <laughs> and then uh, they basically shipped me to Rochester and checked me into a hospital there for a few weeks. And, you know, then luckily the Nighthawks allowed me to coach that year. So I ended up coaching the Nighthawks, which was pretty, pretty unreal situation. Yeah, Ballgate I remember that. Coach, I'm the offensive. Yeah. Yeah, I was the offensive coordinator, and Hazer was the D coordinator, and I had to coach Gary Gate, which was, you know, it, it, it was a pretty strange season. I had to determine whether Gary was, you know, fit to go out in the fourth quarter or not. And, Man. I mean, that was, you know, that's that was wild. just life then. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I look at it now, I'm like, holy crap, that, that happened. Yeah, that is wild. I never knew that. Uh, what else? Uh, well, uh, let's let's flash forward here a little bit. Uh, I want to say what 2012 is when you broke the scoring record for a single season with the Mammoth. I was actually calling the game in Minnesota, which you know I still mark down as one of my highlights. Being able to do that, and would, correct me if I'm wrong here, Junior, but was that was that the season that Richie cracked your sternum and you broke that record in like 16 games, not 18 games? It was 14 games. 14 games. <laughs> okay. 14 yeah, games. 14. Yeah, I, uh, I, he, I ran into Richie, and I, I felt a crunch, but I played, I think, two or two more games and then an all-star game. I remember Scott Self bumped me. The all-star game, I think, was in Buffalo, and I, I'm just like, I, I got to get this looked at. I didn't want to tell anyone I was hurt because I was chasing the record. Yeah. Um, and then finally I went, got this. CT scan and the x-rays and all that stuff. They're like, your sternum's cracked. I'm like, well, okay, what's that mean? They're like, well, you can't play. I'm like, what do you mean I can't play? <laughs> so I had to miss, like, some games, yeah. But, uh, you know, fortunately I got it. You know, you were there, the, kind of the last game. And yeah. the funny thing is, you know, Billings on the rock almost beat it. So, like, Govett handed me a watch at the end of the game. He's like, congrats, and did a little thing in front of the team. I'm like, you might want to hold on to this, there is about a quarter to go for, you know, for me breaking it and then losing it all in one, in one shot. But, um, that was a crazy season. I moved, I moved to Colorado in November and just lived basically with the trainer for the team, left the family at home. And just, it was one of, I had a really bad 2011 with the mammoth and I didn't like the way I played. And it was like a lot of pressure with the trade. And I just moved in with him and he trained, trained me and I was in the best shape I was ever in. And, you know, we had a good – we were all – it was basically me and a lot of rookies. Yeah. We had a pretty good year. You ever good wonder – Like me and Jamie Lincoln. And, you ever wonder what you would have gotten 18 if you'd been healthy for, for four more games? Like, you would have just obliterated it. Well, yeah, the record would be mine still, I'm assuming. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what – Dane and Sean Evans, it's in the 130s, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, Dane went nuts there that one year. Yeah, so I, I, I couldn't even tell you. I think it is it's pretty close to 130 now. Um, well, I mean, yeah, like insane, insane record, but you, you go on for your career, you get traded and you, like you said, a lot of pressure for you when you got dealt to, to Colorado. I think Matt Vince going back the other way, if I'm not mistaken, um, tell me about the, the deal and, and when you got to Colorado and, and, and then the relationship with Steve Govett, who 
was kind of a guy in your life and your career, Jins, where he like gave it to you straight and was like, if you want to be who I think you want to be, this is the way it's got to be. Yeah, I mean, I was living, you know, I had a good life in Rochester. Things are great. I was playing in Roch, summer, winter, traveling back and forth, playing for the Lakers. Like, everything was great. But, you know, as you get older, you start to realize you're not <laughs> who you think think you are. So I knew this year I did get traded. I, was, I mean, Stars was trying to trade me the year before, you know, and people can say whatever they want, whether it was to, you know, give the team to Cody or whatnot. But the fact of the matter is I was starting to, you know, diminish, especially after that year off, you know, my 2010 year, I wasn't the player I was and, you know, before it. So I thought I was going to get traded in 10. I kind of told them I wanted to go to Colorado with the way that organization worked and the, the growth of the game. I knew there was possibility for me to, to, you know, maybe do something more than just play. Um, but yeah, when I finally got to, to Colorado, got, I, you know, kind of showed up and I'm like, this is, what I'm going to do. And, you know, he was kind of set me straight. Like the father figure is just like, you got to come to the office. You got to learn more that you can't just go out on Saturdays and, and score goals and make people cheer. And like, you're going to retire soon. You're going to get to a point where I'm going to either trade you or cut you. And what are you going to do? And he just kept reminding me, what are you going to do when this is done? So he was, you know, he was that, that kick in the pants that I needed to like kind of figure it out. So, you know, um, you know, I tried a bunch of different things within the front office there. And then I ended up getting into the college or the high school coaching, which realized my passion for that and, and giving back. And, you know, that's where I am now because I started that kind of high school coaching. And I do remember one day saying, you're giving up your job with the mammoth to coach high school. Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta do something here. Yeah. So I ended up getting that full-time job and, relinquishing my job with the mammoth i was still playing and doing both but yeah i realized then like this is what i want to do um you know i had a bar restaurant in peterborough kind of before i went there you still got Not that sure that would have been the greatest still... oh no i when we moved out to colorado full-time in like 13 or 14 i i sold it sold montreal, it. I sold the montreal yeah um so yeah, you, you you go you start coaching high school, you go on to Air Force, and of course now the the offense coordinator at Hopkins, and I'm not sure it gets any better than that. But for your for your box career and like Team Canada and all the rest of it, are there aspirations of of getting on an NOL bench, John? I I mean I love the game, I love the league, and I love everything they're doing and the growth. But I really. I don't know. I really love coaching NCAA. I, I love the job. Yeah. I love how much work it is. I mean, it's a 24 hour day job. Like you, you live, sleep and breathe it. I'm not saying you don't do that in NLL, but it's, it's different. you know, a lot of those guys are doing other things. I could never do what I'm doing at Hopkins and then do yeah. indoor. It's kind of why I kind of jumped on as a scout with Panther city. Right. You know, I could, I'm already kind of scouting all the players for my job at Hopkins. So it's pretty easy to, he's good. He's not good. You know, that sort of thing. But I love indoor. I never really thought I was going to make a life in field. I didn't really even like the game, to be honest, when I was younger, I did it because it was fun and it kind of helped pay the bills a little bit. But I mean, I just love the game. I'm fascinated by it. It's still challenging to me. So, I mean, I just, I love the job, the recruiting aspect and, you know, it's, it's, so much work but i mean it's one of those things do what you love and you know that whole 
thing. Yeah, I mean, you're, I not, you're not working a day dog. in your life if you're doing what you love. And, and like, I kind of feel like yeah. that with this and podcast. Yeah, I love every aspect of it. And it's hard. It's hard work. But I, I, I mean, I, I get up every morning and I can't wait. Like, when I'm not at work, I'm thinking about work. It's kind of one of those things. I'm kind of lucky. Like, you know, I'm not saying I fell into it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, sometimes my wife's like, I, I don't even know why you call it work. Like, <laughs> You know, well, it's not. Every- know, I've been with her a really long time. I'm driving home right now from yeah. Canada, so I can go put three days work in, and then I got to drive all the way back to Canada to pick him up at the end of the week because I just I have to go to work. Like I just need to do it. Yeah, it's not a, it's not something that that a lot of guys get to do, and and you're definitely one that deserves to to have lacrosse be your life and, and your passion and your profession, John. So, Jamie, uh, you got anything to hear for him? Okay. I want to ask him about, because when I was ch- t- t- talking to Chugger today, I told him that we were doing All this right, yes, today. That's a, okay, let and me he look. says to me, he goes, he's such a beauty. He goes, you, you want to know why him and Mouse were so great? And I want you to elaborate on this, John, but he's like, you know, back when we were in Rochester, like, we could go out to the bar and those two could, ha- you know, after a game and those two could have a bunch of drinks. And then they'd come back to the hotel room at two, three in the morning, and 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 Junior and Mouse would sit on the bed and draw power plays with uh, carrot sticks and, and this and that. And and I sit there. He's telling me the story, and I'm like, Yeah, well, no wonder why all three of you are in the Hall of Fame because you're going out and having drinks, and then you're coming back and you're trying to, you know, become better. And this Some and of that. the best tell, players tell come about- up with carrot sticks for sure. Tell me about that. Oh, I mean, someone, someone's carrot was always on the boards too. <laughs> yeah, we had a teammate. We, we called him the carrot, and that you know that was all part of what I loved about that team. Like, yeah, we'd go out for some drinks and stuff, but it was like a race to get back to the hotel to to talk lax or you know. My wife still doesn't get it, but I'm yeah. like, you know, you go out for a few, but then it's like a race to get to the hotel to talk more lax. Yeah. And yeah, we were, you know, salt shakers <laughs> and all this. And, and that was part of the reason I went to Coquitlam. I kind of put myself on the market to go out to BC, but I, I, I felt like I needed to be around Kurt because I've never met a guy who loved lacrosse more than me. And it was like, yeah. I'm not saying intimidating, but it was kind of intimidating to watch the way this guy carried on. It was like lacrosse. Like if you weren't talking about lacrosse, he'd give you a look like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. So, he's still you know, I, he, I need to surround myself with people like that. And I know he's still that way. We, you know, we talk all the time and I call him about BC kids for like Hopkins. And, yeah. you know, and he's still, we, we get into each other. We still, you know, kind of chirp each other the whole time. But, you know, I remember watching that guy coach like Pee Wee when I was in with him. <laughs> the guy ran out five wooden sticks at the back door in a Pee Wee game against Sanders. I'm like, you're... <laughs> You're clearly a psychopath. Yeah, you think Gordy's he was going to old, old timer yeah. games. Yeah, and I'm like, and uh, like he taught me a lot, and you know he's one of those guys I, I still call when I, you know, you need to talk lax or, or figure something out. And I had a whole team of those guys that that year, so it was uh, pretty special as a rookie to, to surround myself with. Literally, they're all Hall of Famers, and now they're what? There's a bunch of Nighthawks going in with me this year, and there's a bunch that are already in there. So I. I got myself lucky to kind of join that squad. Are you going to make it to Buffalo? I'll be there. Okay, good, good. Um, well, let's end it off with this one, Junior, and hopefully we, we made your trip a little bit shorter here, wrapping for the last 45 minutes. But uh, we we ask every Hall of Famer, maybe you just answered the question for me, but for one guy that, 
that it's not in the NLL Hall of Fame right now that you think belongs in? Who is it? Oh, geez. Um, well, this class definitely answered a lot of those questions. Yeah. Um, I'll just throw Jake Berge out. Sure. First name that came into my head. Okay. Yeah, Berg's definitely belongs there. I thought you were going to say Malowski. I, yeah, I'm not going to give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love and it. I, I hope he hears this, though. Yeah, it's like somehow he'll probably, I don't know, he'll yeah. give it back to yeah, you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah, Kurt, Kurt Belong. Like, he's made careers. He's continuing. Even what he's doing as a coach. I mean, yeah. shoot, I only lost to really two teams my 17 years. And his darn friggin' roughnecks were, <laughs> were that team at the end. And they always found a way to win. And obviously, he's the mastermind of that whole thing. And it didn't matter who he had out there, whether it was Evie or whenever he was gone, we'd find a way to lose them every year. And I knew how he coached. I know the guys that were coached by him. So he should get in just from his coaching, let alone how amazing of a player he was. Oh, there you go. I for always... having no pocket in it. Yeah. <laughs> this racket for sure i always say like hall of famers are, are hall of famers yes for for what they did on the floor but just as much for what they do off the floor or on the bench and, and the legacy that they leave behind on, on the sport and, and leave the game in a better place than than when they left it so john i think you you definitely fall into that category man i know you're a super super busy guy and i really appreciate you making some time here on lax class for for us, and uh, I'm glad we can cross you off the list, and I'm happy to see you in the NLL Hall of Fame where you belong. Thanks for doing this, man. No problem. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Uh, yeah, there he is, Jamie Dowick. John Grant Jr., and, like, so many stories come to mind when I think of watching John Grant Jr., and, and like, obviously the 116-point the season was a thrill to call. I think about the the one-handed behind the back sub shot bouncer into the top corner uh, for the mammoth yep. against the stealth and just all the like I've told that story about being shorthanded and bouncing the ball off his boards to himself and, and splitting the double like there's just so many highlights that come to my mind when I think of of junior indoor outdoor the around the worlds the backhands the blind shots the crazy passes. And, like, the guy did it all, man. The most prolific goal scorer that our game has ever seen. And I don't know if we're going to see another one like Junior. Yeah, it'll be uh, pretty challenging for someone to come along and be able to do, do the things he Gabster did. might do it. Yeah. Gabster might do it. It's got to be in the bloodlines, I think. Like, there's no other way. Yeah, something like that for sure. I think she's starting out her little field lacrosse oh, career there. Trick but shots. No, awesome. he was, uh, he was, um, you know, you, you feel fortunate. Um, like I said, I didn't really watch the gates too much. And, you know, just like other sports, I didn't watch older guys too much. Um, and not so much that they're that much older, just wasn't involved there. But, I, you know, you're thankful that Special. you got to watch a guy like John Grant Jr. play because, yeah. you know, he was just – just a special player. 100%. 100%. And long overdue for him to go in the Hall of Fame. There you go. Know, so you glad know, it's back. Age. I know there was that hiatus, and, and like, you, you can't throw everybody into the Hall of Fame that probably deserves to be no. in there over the last five years, but they'll get there, and, and we'll get there. Uh, and, it's and tough, the, man. Know, it's tough. The guys that – The both, big class, and, 
you know, like you think about it. Well, you don't want to take the know. shine off anybody by in, like inducting too many guys, right? Because then it kind of becomes a little bit disrespectful. Like if you send twenty guys into the hall at once, it's like, hey, like you want to have a spotlight yeah, on these guys and celebrate their illustrious careers. Especially because I think you know we did miss the boat by letting it go for this long. Like I, you know, I know I've talked to Colin about this, and and you know we've we've retired his jersey. Um, and he's gone in the Toronto Rock Hall of Fame. And, you know, both of those things happened five years ago when he retired. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, back on hey, track. Listen, we're back on track. Back on track, all very well deserving. And, you know, um, the whole class is, is it's, it's impressive. Incredible. Absolutely incredible class going in. And like I said, the guys that deserve to get in are going to get in. It's just going to take a few years to kind of get caught yeah. up. And then we'll get back on, on regular schedule here. Jamie, monster yeah. second quarter. Big time first half. We still got a half a program to go. So let's get to break. But not before I tell you about our good friends at Stampede Tack and Western Wear. Because uh, they've been with us since day one here, Jamie. And whether you need a cowboy hat, boots, riding boots, motorcycle leathers, told you about those Blundstones. They're Canada's largest Wrangler dealer as well. So jeans, you name it. I want, I'm want. i going to put this to you right now, Jamie Dell. Get on stampede.ca where shopping online is still shopping local. And if you don't find anything that catches your eye that that you want to just purchase right there on the website, I will I will offer up something embarrassing to do online if you can't find something you want to buy on that website. Right. I got some homework this week. Okay. Stampede.ca. Where shopping online is still shopping local, or you can head out there to Cloverdale. They've been there since 1966, corner of Highway 10 and 180th. Stampede Tack and Western Wear. Calls to the hall. That was John Grant Jr. Second half is coming up next. Quick sticks are coming up on Lax Class right after this. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. This is Rich List. You're listening to Lax Class, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. All right, lacrosse fans, we are back. We're, <clears throat> we're in the second half. I probably should have had a sip of water at halftime there. Uh, Jake Kelly, Jamie Dowick with you. Quick sticks are coming up and up for, I tell you, about Associated Labels and Packaging, AssociatedLP.com or at AssociatedLP. That stands for labels and packages, if you haven't figured that out yet. Family-owned, focusing on quality and ethics, of course. And, uh, man, fun family company. Premium quality labels and packaging. Unparalleled service. 40 years of experience down there in Coquitlam. An ever-growing catalog. Top-of-the-line equipment. Like, Jamie, I don't know if you've ever needed a, a label or a package. But if you do, associate labels and packaging better be where you go is that a deal done okay uh quick sticks are here in quarter number three we got lots to to get through here this week uh jamie and lots of signings i don't know if we'll get to those but again if we don't go to that transaction page to keep up to date 
Where do we begin? Uh, man, uh, these have been catching my eye lately, Jamie. The, the San Diego Seals have been putting these out. Uh, Westberg, I know you're a big Westberg fan, played for Oakville there for a few years. Rusty Bird, have you been watching these videos? The table tennis one last week, have you seen this? Yeah, he's a beauty, eh? Like, just... Uh, <laughs> More Rusty Bird, time. please. Yes, good content. Wes is the perfect guy to be doing that. Like, it's just made for him. Yeah. And uh, it's always very entertaining. Dry sense of humor, of course. Uh, I want to yeah. see. I want to see him introduce Dunkaroos to to the world with Rusty Bird. Maybe that would be something. Oh, he's good at those. <laughs> maybe uh, the king. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, listen, I don't know if I've ever told this this story uh, on this podcast. I've told a few people about this. So you've you've been to my place, Jamie, and and in my my massive uh, condominium here in Port Coquitlam. In my main living room, I have this like ceiling fan that has a light on it. And people might think I'm a little bit nuts for this. I don't really care. I've, I've come to believe it's true now. But this light, their only way to turn on this light is, is with a remote. Like there's not a switch for it. It's a remote. So when I, the, from the day I moved in to this place, I would you know, sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night and the light would be on. Or I'd come home from work and the light would be on. And I thought, okay, maybe like my cat is jumping up and, and stepping on the remote or something and turning this light on. But it's always the light. It's never the fan. So then I started kind of hiding the remote so I knew it wasn't the cat turning this thing on. And it would happen. And finally somebody said to me, goes like, I, I don't like... This isn't random. I think this is your mom saying saying hi to you. And I thought, well, I'm not sure I kind of I buy into that. But then I kind of started paying attention to when it was coming on. And it was always, you know, like right around my birthday or her birthday or Christmas or Thanksgiving. So, you know, lately, like, for instance, I came home from the day that my dad passed and the light was on. And I thought, okay, like there's no there's no possible way that this is random anymore. So anyways, fast forward to last week, I go, so it's my dad's, my dad's birthday essentially. And I'm, you know, kind of down in the dumps. And I thought like there was a game out in North Shore, Danny wanted me to go. And I was like, oh, I'm not really feeling like being around people and all the rest of it. Just kind of having a blah day. And so I decided, you know what, screw this. I banged out a workout in my living room and I said, I'm going to go to the game and just power through this sort of thing. So I did. Fantastic game. Final game in Harry Jerome Arena. North Shore Indians, Ladder Pioneers. The home team wins. It is an incredible atmosphere. I, I posted some of this on Instagram. Jamie, I won the 50-50 that night. I saw that. Nine hundo I came home with in my pocket. And what do I come home to? The, the light being on. on. Jesus Christ. So, you know, like... Think what you that want, <laughs> but like I, I know it to be true that that you know yeah. not only was that part of the reason I won the fifty fifty that night, but that was kind of when I came home going, "You're welcome, happy birthday to me," sort of thing. So, um, I, I wanted to put that out there to the world to to kind of soak in a little bit. Like it, it's kind of next level trippy stuff, man. But it's emotional. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah. So. Anyways, good good night out there in North Shore. It was a, a fantastic series to watch. And 
<clears throat> Langley and, and New Westminster were supposed to kind of do a similar thing here, a little three-game miniseries between the Bellies and the Thunder. Well, that kind of got put on hiatus, so the XLL, Jamie, has stepped in here. We're going to put a little all-star team together from XLLers and take on the Bellies in Queens Park. For a little three-game series at the end of the month, 25th, 27th, 29th, this series will be available on bcsports.tv. I'm going to call this thing, and XLL All-Stars going up against the Bellies. This is going to be pretty cool. That will be good. It's just good to see more and more lacrosse. There's lots going on right now, and that's what we all want to see. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah, MSL Classic is going on still. How's Oakville How's Oakville making up? Uh, you know, I, young I team. I'll take yeah, they dropped both this week. I mean, listen, um, I'll say it a few times. You know, I've said this before. Obviously, when we get out on the floor, we're trying to win the game. But, you know, um, this has been great for us to, to, to get a lot of kids out that we've never really seen play at this level. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, some of them are already going back to school now and we will miss the last couple of games. So um, it, it, it's, it's, it's accomplished what I think we wanted all wanted to accomplish – and we've been back, and we've been present, and, and uh, I'm pretty proud of the job that that we've done as a league to uh, make that happen. Lots, uh, lots of more quick sticks here as we got to get uh, get through all these. Uh, the the OJ is having an All Star game there themselves. Uh, I saw the the rosters for the East and West. It's going to be a lot of fun. The World Junior Lacrosse Championships are going down in Winnipeg right now. They had the game on TSN there with Stamper and Shanny, but you know, I, I've kind of been pretty hard on this tournament over the years for kind of what it, what it's been and what it is. What I really want to talk about, I don't know if you saw this, Jamie, the the Tanner Buck goal where he comes off the bench in transition, streaking on a 45 towards the goal. The pass is about 10 feet over top of his head. He literally is on a dead sprint and just reaches. He's not even looking at the ball and just sticks his stick up in the air and snatches this thing and then goes on to finish on top of the crease. This, I don't think, like, they, I don't think the, the announcers really realized what Buck did on that goal. It was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in lacrosse. Well, Bucky's a gamer, man. I mean, he's Rock Elite League royalty. He's played here probably since day one and, and right up till you know, still playing here and the played junior A, he's gone playing this thing, whatever it is. And then, you know, I know he's going to start playing for Oakville Rock uh, this week. We had two games he's in for both. I mean, he's just a lacrosse rat, for lack of a better term, and he just loves the game. And he'll play anywhere, anytime, and he'll give you a good effort. And and he's got a lot of talent. I've seen him score hundreds of goals in in this building uh, in our Rock League over the years and, and all sorts of assortment. He's got a creative mind, and, and he's he's a great kid, so I'm happy for him. Yeah, wearing the C there for, for Canada East as well. I know the Rocky Mountain. Yeah, I still don't understand that whole thing. No. That's another day, another time. Like, yeah. I don't even really know what it is. It's not – it's Team not Canada. It's, it's no, I know. You know, you know I had a, you know I had a bit of a run in with them last year because I lent them my turf and that oh. didn't go well. So okay, you know. yeah, well, you know, like I hear <laughs> again, <laughs> yeah, I I hear things and good things, bad things. Listen, what needs to happen with that tournament is that 
World Lacrosse needs to take that tournament over. And whether he's a part of it or whatever, like they need to legitimize it for all these kids that are that are signing up and paying to play in this tournament. So I don't want to get off on that. I just the Tanner Buck goal blew my mind and I wanted to put that out there more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, BC Junior Lacrosse League are down to the mainland final. I went out and checked this game out on Friday. Coquitlam won game one. They're playing game two today here on Sunday. In fact, game three will go Monday. So a couple more games will go down before you even hear this podcast. But Burnaby, who I, like, they haven't even made the playoffs in, I don't like, over a decade, Jamie. I'm talking, like, close to 15 years or something Good young team there in Burnaby. Russ Hurd, uh, former Toronto Rock, great uh, coaching, head coach of that team. And Pete Tellis, uh, who, of course, you will know as well, the head coach of the junior Adnacks. And these guys are going to play a good series. I think it's going to go the distance five games, and we'll see who comes out on top. PCLC, Jamie, Panther City Lacrosse Club, uh, revealed their jerseys over the past few days. Uh, Give me your initial thoughts on these. I, I, I'm okay with them. I don't mind the look. I think it's uh, a pretty good-looking jersey. Yeah, little uh, uh, little Rochester flavor to it. If you put the Nighthawks and, and Panther City beside each other, kind of same same little layout format there. But uh, colors good. Uh, you know, the little red eyes kick off to me. And uh, how about that nasty stash on Caputo uh, modeling those those jerseys? My goodness. He's a beauty. <laughs> Great guy. Great kid, man. I hope he does well there. He's. Uh... You know, someone we had here for a couple of years, and we 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 let him go to hopefully on the bigger, better things. And I'm still pulling for him because he's a good player, good kid. Yeah, that mustache is uh, next level. It's yes. it's filthy, yes. absolutely filthy. Um, a few more here. Six Nations Chiefs coming out with just a phenomenal residential school jersey. I, not that that's phenomenal, but the fact that they're doing this, and I thought the design is fantastic. So make sure you check out. I think these are going to be auctioned off for for you, and the funds will go to the residential school fund. Um, speaking of of the Chiefs, longtime reporter for the Chiefs, Casey Vock, apparently has come down and, and has gotten quite sick. Uh, so there's a GoFundMe up for him and for Corey Upshaw that Gavin Proud and, and, and a couple other people have started up. I guess this kid got in just a horrific ATV accident. The miracle man, they're calling him. He's lucky to be alive, and, he, and he's fighting for his life. Unfortunately, he he got kind of caught between two jobs where he <coughs> – excuse me, I don't know why I don't have a voice today – where he got caught between two jobs, so he's got, like, no medical insurance or coverage or anything, so they started to go fund me for Corey Upshaw as well. So if you can help out uh, either Casey Vock or Corey Upshaw, please do. I think uh, Lax Class has retweeted both those links, so so check that out. we got to get this in, of course. NLL 35 moments. I'm just uh, scanning to find it here. But Gary Gate reaches 1,000 career points. This came back in 2004. 1,000 points, no joke in the NLL. First player in league history to hit the mark. 18-6 win over San Jose in front of a sellout crowd, recording 6-2 on the night. Ten other players to reach 1,000 points. Jamie, how many do you think you could name? I think I can name eight of them. Go. John Tavares, Colin Doyle, Dan Dawson, John Grant Jr., Josh Sanderson, Sean Williams, Six. 
Is that only six? I was hoping it was seven. <laughs> okay, give me a second uh, here. You got to yeah, have no. someone like Dane Dobie's got to be in there. I I think so. I honestly I don't know. I've never looked I this would up. Say, uh, Stainhouse. Cool. Stainhouse. Yeah, be. I was thinking Stainhouse. He's got to be in there too. Uh, uh, Ryan Benesh. Maybe? Oh, Benny. Yes. And what about Sweet uh, Lou? Lewis Radcliffe. Is Lewis Radcliffe could be in there. Reese Dutch could be up yeah, there. Yeah, he's close. Know. He's close I mean, as well. Uh, yeah, there, there's a whole slew of them. Like uh, now, um, I wanna, now I want to look <laughs> this up. Top I felt 10 like we're and playing was, name that to name that too. Yeah, that, it's that like good. yeah, it's good. No, yeah, I think you. I'm pretty. I'm pretty impressed, man. That uh, that you were able to listen. It's all the it's all the newer guys, right? Just because they played so many fewer games back in the well, day. Well, that's so it. That's just that's it. why that's why you're you know I'm aware of them because you know like I said I I mean really I bought the team in 2010. I was a casual fan before then, so like. You know, I didn't really watch the Gates play. Um, oh well, there. Do we? Yeah. So Gary Gates, he counts as the eleventh, right? So Paul Gate, did he get to a thousand? Well, he played for fifty years, didn't he? <laughs> he played. He played a long time. There's no question about that. Okay, yeah. I think I let me let me just see here if I got this. I'm gonna try and pull this up as we talk here. Um, what else do I have here on Quick Sticks while I do that? I think that's I, oh shout outs for listening. I have down here. I got a I got a couple of messages over the weekend here, and one is is from a guy named Josh Springer who apparently listens to the to the podcast all the time. I just I just want to read this out. He goes first. I want to say I'm a huge fan of Lax Class. I heard you mention the U19 Survivor Cup tournament coming up, which Teddy and I are going back to Cornwall on Tuesday to call. My son Billy Donna will be playing for Kahnawagi, and I'm telling you this because we live in Albany, and back in 2019, Billy had the opportunity to play for the Midgets in Kahnawagi, and the soundtrack for most of our road trips was Lax Class. This has helped me learn a lot about the sport because I've never played. If I happen to see you in the Turtle Dome, I'd like to come up and say hi if you're okay with that. And I said, Josh, I'd be more than happy to, to have a conversation with you. But, you know, from Albany and, and whether I'm just out in a rink and here local and somebody comes up and says, you know, a great podcast or I love the I, I always get a little sheepish because I'm like kind of like, uh, you know, like I don't really I just thank you sort of thing. But like it means it literally means the world to me. And that's the reason that I do this is for for, for people like I know a lot of people count on this and, and listen to it. So I just again, I'm not sitting here, you know, pat my own but I'm saying it. Thank you to everybody who listens and enjoys the podcast. I really, truly appreciate it. Is that did that come across properly? I don't know if it did. That's awesome, man. Listen, and I'm the same way. Like you do, do a great job, and and that was why I offered to come kind of do this with you because I just felt like, you know, you're trying to give all these people this information, and you know, I can give you some information that, you know, not not not, not necessarily inside information, but information to specific things that people don't understand, and and uh, you do do a great job, and you know, there's all of us that you know, listen to the podcast and love listening to it, but we know all the things you're talking about. There's people listening that are, you know, learning our game, learning about our league, learning about what's going on. And, 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 you know, you should, you should be proud of those compliments because, uh, you know, that guy doesn't know you from anything and for him to take the time. Yeah, and exactly. That, it's very, um, it's, very know, it's pretty cool, man. Pretty yeah. cool. Um, here we go. I pulled it up. That was a nice little stall for me. Thank you. Dawson, uh, 
like and again the nll rules don't go or the the history doesn't go back past 2005 i think so the older guys don't anyways dawson evans banesh grant crawford we evans. forgot crawford Evans, and Evans. Yes, and Evans, of course. Reese Dutch is in there with 1070. Josh Sanderson, Dane Dolby just eclipsed it. Colin Doyle. Stenos came up just eight points shy of 1,000. And you know Gator and, and JT are obviously in there as well. So nice little 35 moments there this week by the NLL. I've really been enjoying that. And speaking of, uh, stay tuned. Uh, some exciting news uh brand new sponsor coming up on the podcast beginning next month oh. the national lacrosse league has hopped on board here with lax class and we're going to be uh just you know covering off copying some stuff up here and uh we'll be telling you what's new and, and latest with the national lacrosse league as we tend to do here it'll just be a little more in depth but uh Struck up a conversation with uh, mr ireland there at the the nll offices we got to talking and uh, we've uh, formed a little partnership here starting in September, which I'm really excited about. That's great news. Absolutely it is. Uh, also great news, maybe, is that quick sticks are done. We only have one quarter left to do. The Stampede Stallion of the Week is coming up. Fourth quarter action next. Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Hey, this is Dylan Ward, goaltender for the Colorado Mammoth. You're listening to the Lacrosse Classified, growing the game one podcast at a time. Welcome back. Lax Class into the fourth quarter. We go Jay Kelly, Jimmy Dowick here for one final quarter. Uh, Stampede Stallion. Before we get to that, Jimmy, I got to let you know if you want to subscribe to the podcast. I would really like that. Uh, you can put a review down as well, wherever, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to our podcast, you're going to find Lax Class and you can hit that subscribe button. we got a Facebook page, we've got an Instagram page, at Lacrosse Classified. we got a Twitter handle, at Lax Class, if you want to follow us on social media. And we got an email address as well. I hear that's pretty popular. It's going to be around for a while. So I got myself an email address, lacrosseclassified at gmail. Dot com. If you want to send us a message that way, that's cool. You can follow Jamie Dowick on Twitter at jdowick. You can follow me at pxp, the number four. Sports, pxp for sports. So that gets that covered off. Uh, Jamie, Spurs are on. Chaps, you got your bola, your big belt buckle. Saddle up, partner. We're heading for the Stampede Stables. <laughs> Not bad, that one. We're at the Stampede <laughs> Stables here. As Jamie uh, was my pick last week, I picked Joel McCready. I sent you the full list of stallions so you didn't double pick somebody. And you said last week that you were going to try and stay away from a Toronto Rock player. But you kind of did. You kind of didn't. I will allow you to announce who you have selected for this week's stallion. Yeah, well, I, my intentions were to try and come up uh, with someone and stay away from the Toronto Rock player. Fortunately, like in high school, I, I didn't do my homework in time. And uh, 
realized this morning that I was on, on deck today and had to come up with someone. So I think I came up with a great one. Then you sent me the list, and I was just praying he wasn't on that <laughs> long list of uh, players there. Yeah. And, and, and he wasn't. So, uh, you know, and it's kind of funny. I didn't do all the research on stats and this and that, but, like, to me that summarizes this guy, winner, my Stampede Stallion of the Week is none other than Phil Sanderson. Oh, um, yes. Flipper, welcome to the stable, yeah. man. That, uh, yeah. And I said, I think that is a fantastic pick for you. And, and we were, like, chit-chatting a little bit before we hit the record button. And, and I like, one of the first things I said is that if Phil – like, he played from 2000 to 2012 and got over 200 games in, in the league, which is a feat in its own right. But he, yep. he had some injury trouble and, and had his career cut short, like – if Phil was able to keep going, I think he goes down as one of the best ever and goes to the Hall of Fame for that matter. Absolutely. I mean, he was a winner. Like, he was a guy that, you know, it's one one of those things. I mean, obviously, the, the general saying is if, you know, you don't recognize a defender or whatever, that's probably a good thing. Um, but Phil was, you know, he wasn't the most gifted player, but he was brilliant and he understood the defense and he was just a winner. And, you know, I believe he won in Toronto, then he won in Buffalo, and then he came back with us. He was one of the first deals T made when we reacquired, when I acquired the team. And, you know, it's too bad his, you know, we didn't have longer together in Toronto because he was a huge part of our team, night in, night out. You know, great, great teammate, great leader, funny guy, and, and just a warrior on the floor. And, and I even, you know, dub the the move the flipper where he takes his his uh, stick and he goes over the guy's head and, yeah. and strips him like that like that was that was his move and he was he was awesome man a great teammate and definitely um, you know a stallion on the floor absolutely for sure, so. absolutely started out and got pretty feisty in in Albany I'm looking at the penalty minutes here almost fifty penalty minutes in 02 and 03. Uh quick cup of coffee there in San Jose, then with Toronto, a few years in Buffalo, ends his career off in Toronto. Over 1,300 loose balls. Uh, over six a game he averaged in in his career. And, like, man cups to go along with it as well. And Man, just an absolute grinder. You're right. I, I call that the crowbar check, but I might have to change that to, to the flipper because uh, yeah. you're right. He he was synonymous with He was so it. good at it. So good at it. Occasionally you get a penalty, right? You don't get it properly and you yeah. catch the guy. Flipper wasn't that tall, so no. when he'd do it, he'd jump and do it. Uh, and if he was doing it against a tall guy, sometimes he'd elbow him in the head or something like that. But he, he was very good at it and, and – uh, you know, when you're putting together a winning lacrosse club, there's always a spot for uh, uh, Phil Sanderson on anyone's team, in my opinion. Absolutely. And a money follow on Twitter as well. Doesn't tweet out a whole lot, but he's, he's kind of like, uh, you know, those orange little guys. They just have kind of that dry sense of humor, very under. Yeah. And they just kind of went, went. <laughs> like it, it just comes yeah. out of nowhere sometimes with Phil. So he's, he's lurking in the weeds and then he just pounces on you. So that, that's a great description of him. For yeah, sure. absolutely. So let's run down the stallions here quickly for the people. If you're new to, to the stand, I was actually thinking like, he's just, he's like Bruce Codd a lot in that regard. And I love Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Codd, literally our second stallion added to. And you know what, stand. when I read your list, I mean, 
you know, and obviously Bruce and I have become very close here. Um, with we're being my two rock GM guys right out of the gate, here. but 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 Bruce, you're right. Those two guys were very, you know, like to me that was your typical. I mean, yeah, there was the old Brody Merrill, six foot whatever, but your typical Orangeville defender. They weren't the biggest guys, but they were brilliant, really, really smart and. And just tenacious. Yeah, like tenacious Greg Harnett, and, another guy like that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, none of them, none of them were monsters, but they were gamers, man, and they were they were winners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and once you're a winner, you're a winner for life, man. So welcome yeah. to the stable, Flipper Phil Sanderson. Uh, happy to have you join. Let's. I'm going to run this down here: Steph LeBlanc, Bruce Cod, Josh Courier, Corey Vitarelli, Chris O'Doherty, Scotty Campbell, Marty Dinsdale, Jordan Hall, Nick Rose, Paul Dawson, Greg Harnett, Ian Hawksby. Craig Kahn, Greg Downing, Stevie Keogh, John Lintz, Aaron Wilson, Curtis Hodgson, Dan McRae, Jimmy Quinlan, Dan Teat, David Brock, Brad Cree, Brandon Miller, Jason Wolder, Peter Morgan, Andrew McBride, Jared Davis, Blaine Manning, Sean Pollock, Kyle Matisse, Curtis Manning, Casey Behrens, Ian Lord, Jeff Molesky, Corey Small, Joey Capito, Mike Poulin, Mike and Scott Carnegie, Kyle Buchanan, Brett Mitski, Jeff Cornwall, Joel McCready, and now one Phil Sanderson. Uh, into the stable we go here. That's quite the roster. Like that, that would make a couple of good teams right there. Absolutely. Jamie, another fantastic uh, episode with you co-hosting. It's been uh, a lot of fun. We're going to do this a couple more times at least. Look forward to that. Uh, I want to thank John Grant Jr. for stopping on the program. To all our sponsors, of course, Stampede Tack, the Vancouver Warriors, Associated Labels and Packaging for their continued support. And to you, the listener, for checking out Lax Class each and every week right here on the home of Lacrosse Classified Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Big show is now over. For Jamie Dowick, I've been Jake Elliott. And for the fastest game on two feet and for the creator... Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay classified.